is Let Your Voice Be Heard right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. V12 by C12. What's going on? We're back on the air. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, the voice of Harlem. What's shaking, beloveds? What's going on, Facebook Live? What's cracking, Selena's Instagram Live? Hello, Alyssa Fuchs. Good morning. Hello, Selena Hill. And hello, Tina Dixon, who's in the studio with us. This is an- another action-packed episode of Let Your Voice Be Heard. Comes on every Sunday from 11 a.m. to 12 p.m. So before you go to brunch, while you're still rolling over, make sure you listen. My name is Stan Fritz, you can follow me on Twitter at Stan Fritz, on Instagram at Stan Fritz, on Snapchat at Dark Skin Swindle. And I don't really post there, except for yesterday when I was snapping a snake lady. She was bald headed with a snake. And who else do I have in the studio with me today? I think I have Selena Hill. And Selena has a th- what, like four hoop earrings in one ear. What is that? It's called an earring. And it has oh, a design oh, oh, in oh, it. Oh, Stanley, okay. I know you're not familiar with things like jewelry or accessories. <laughs> um, good morning, guys, and welcome to Let Your Voice Be Heard. Of course, my name is Selena Hill, and this is Let Your Voice Be Heard, where we talk social issues, politics, pop culture, foreign policy, and we do that all from a diverse millennial perspective. Shout out to everyone who is watching us via, via Facebook Live. And... Um, Maybe maybe a little technical difficulty there, but we will be able to fix that. Okay, or maybe not. Maybe just or maybe mind. it's just Selena. Maybe um, it's just me. Um, and also shout out to everyone who is watching us on my Instagram account and soon to be our uh, Let Your Voice Be Heard Instagram account, which is Be Heard underscore Radio. So we're doing a little A B testing. I wanted to see if you guys would actually like rock with us and like engage with us if we actually did something on Instagram Live. So thank you for that. Um, and you can find me on Instagram at Miss Selena Hill, which is spelled with an M S Selena Hill, and on Twitter M S Selena Hill. Alyssa. Good morning. Um, <laughs> too many things going on in studio. It's a today. lot. It's a I lot. Know, it is a lot. It is a lot. Um, so, yeah, I apologize about the vertical video today. Unfortunately, I um, could not get the video to go horizontal. I'm not sure why. Facebook is just messing with us today. Oh, so um, algorithms. But, you know, that's all good. Anyway, so I'm Alyssa Fuchs. I'm your political and legal correspondent. You can find me on Facebook at facebook.com slash Alyssa Fuchs. That's Alyssa with an I, I-L-Y-S-S-A. F-U-C-H-S, if hey. you're nasty. Oh. Um, <laughs> I like that. <laughs> I'm mummy. Um, I can also be found on Instagram at Alyssa.Fuchs, where this morning I was doing this the uh, Kiki dance with yes! um, with Selena. We got the swirl thing going on. I and hope you guys saw that. <laughs> yeah, I hope you saw that too. But she'll Team tag swirl. me in it. Um, Team Swirl. And, uh, you know, you can also find me on Twitter at Alyssa Fuchs. And shout out to Jackie Cohn, who is now a kept woman. Yay! Yay! Jackie's married. I can't believe someone married Jackie. Well, let's just, for anyone who doesn't know, our uh, co-host, Jackie Cohen, she's our political correspondent, actually. She is not here today because she got married. And she's literally going to be having the big ceremony, her big wedding, next Saturday. Yeah, so white people have two um, weddings. Black people go to the Justice of Peace. Seriously, in California. So we'll all be there, God willing, next Saturday. And you guys can watch and live this experience with me on my Instagram live. She's not joking. I'm not. Oh, no. We're all going to be at the wedding. She's okay. going to be like live streaming this whole wedding. We already had to oh. warn her oh, about yeah. certain things that we can't talk about on the radio. How long are Jewish weddings? Alyssa? What do you mean? I don't know. Because I went to a Catholic wedding and it was like a, lot, a lot of praying. Well, it depends. Like, you they know, there's pray. like mad different types of Jews. So, you know, if you go to like. Yeah, they're really, not a monolith. If you go to like a religious, right. religious Jewish wedding, like that, that thing could go on all day. Oh, God. Um, but, you know, if you go to like a more secular Jewish wedding, that thing could go on for like 45 minutes an hour. So we should drink before we go to the church. Like, or, you know, like my cousin got synagogue. married in synagogue, but we're not. We're, this is on a farm. Um,. <laughs> 
my cousin got married. Uh, it was a mixed marriage because she married a guy who was not Jewish, and they had like a 15-minute ceremony. It was like bing, bang, boom, done. So, like, you know, you never know. I just want to warn you guys, if I ever get married, it's going to be long. <laughs> it's tedious. I'm not coming. You guys are gonna <laughs> yeah, feel it. Sh- sh- well, make sure we uh, you show up late, just like uh, you know. Selena. Oh, oh, I'm definitely not gonna be on time. That's a fact. So whatever anyway. time Selena's wedding is, just come like two hours after that. You'll be on time. Seriously. So anyway, guys, um, we have a great show lined up. There are a lot of news stories that we're gonna kick off. We're gonna be talking about that Unite the Right rally uh, that's going on. Amarosa dropped a new book. Kanye West is still pumping Donald Trump. NPR's racist interview when they rank black. Break the races, and uh, we're gonna have a long form discussion about that nail salon incident in Brooklyn. And we have a very special guest who's gonna be calling in to talk about um, the the racial tensions between the Asian and Black community. So we have a great show. Make sure you guys leave comments on Facebook Live. That's facebook.com slash let your voice be heard. We are live right there and you can engage directly with us. You can also tweet us at beheard underscore radio. And if you're bold enough, give us a call at 212-650-6903. We're going on a break, but we'll be right back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Good morning. We are back on Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHC, all the voice of Harlem. I just want to say that Nicki Minaj's body shaming, having a small penis is not a bad thing. I also want to shout out Leash Lee, who's listening, Catherine Marrow, who's always listening. We love you for that. Mikhail Colbreth, I know I'm butchering your name. Feel free to curse me out later. Vicky Herrera, who just jumped in. If you're on Facebook Live and you are watching, we appreciate you. This is going to be a great conversation, so make sure you give lots of comments. But... Who am I and why are we here? I'm Stanley Fritz. I'm the best. And I'm here with Selena Hill and, of course, Alyssa Fuchs. And this is Let Your Voice Be Heard on 90.3 FM WHCR, Stanley, the voice of Harlem. It's not the size of the, the boat. It's the motion of the ocean. Exactly. It's not the length of the game. It's, a, it's a how you pitch in the innings. Well, I just want to say this really quickly before we jump into the news stories. Mm-hmm. So, uh... Nicki Minaj's Queen album dropped like Friday and so far the singles that I've heard Barbie Dreams that new single with um, Foxy Brown and then the single that didn't make the album with Nas they are all bangers like it's fire guys so like shout out to Cardi B because you know I'm still in Cardi season but like I I think you can like both of them you can like both you can can like both I actually I I like the the Cardi album better than hers Nikki's. Yeah, there's a lot of skippable songs for me, but we can talk about that later because, guys, right now, at this moment, Gary, we will see you next week, by the way. Papa. So, I want to so kick it off. Um, you guys, uh, if you are listening to us and listening live, you know that today is Sunday and the Unite the Right rally is actually going on in just a few more hours. So, basically, um, last year at this time, we had that infamous rally in Charlottesville where a a protester literally lost her life. She was killed in Charlottesville while protesting against white nationalists. Uh, she was ran down and murdered. Um, and now the white nationalists and these people on the right are in D.C. right now and protesting for, get this, the civil rights of white people. I just want to say her name. That's yes, Heather, Heather. Heyer. Heather Absolutely. Heyer. Yes, say her name. Absolutely. So, I mean, guys. We right now you have white nationalists who are celebrating the anniversary of Charlottesville in D.C. Well, you know what's crazy? NFL players get in trouble for kneeling. 
you know, to protest gun violence against black people, but they literally gave a whole permit to white people to go and march about white supremacy. Listen, there's only one way you solve, pe- like, you solve the issue of white supremacy, and it's by destroying white supremacy. I know you guys are looking forward to me saying something violent, but I don't want to go to jail this week. No, I hear you. Look, I, they, they also were in a position just from the legal perspective, right, that they basically... They're on. It's it's a hard line to draw, right? Because when it comes to free speech, you can't deny somebody a permit to march based on the content of their speech. That's just the law. Um, sure, there are exceptions to that, meaning if there was credible information that they were going to be inciting violence, and there could be a, an argument made for that, then you can deny a permit. Um, and you know, obviously, if there's safety concerns, then that can be reasons to deny a permit. But as much as we may find their speech deplorable, and I do, um, that doesn't on its own give the government a right to deny them the permit. And I've always said we should meet hate speech with our own speech. Um, you know, and, well, and, and I, 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 I'm, I am a lawyer, so I obviously will not advocate for violence. Um, but, you know, look, right. other people can and and have um but i've always said like if you find speech deplorable you should meet it with your own speech and try and drown that speech out and that's actually what is happening we have a number of anti-white nationalist rallies going on in washington dc and reports are saying that there are going to be more people protesting the white nationalists in dc than there are actually going to be white supremacist kkk members etc in this march and to stanley's point You know, you made a really good point about Donald Trump because he's been tweeting about stopping black football players from peacefully protesting. Yet and still just a few blocks down from the White House, you have KKK members who are marching and supporting and chanting his name. Like, really, Trump? Well, we all know Trump is a hypocrite, but you know who I did not expect to be a hypocrite or what? I did not expect to be a hypocrite. NPR. They had on one of the original organizers for Unite the, the White or the Right, whatever you call it, protest last year. They had him on the show on Friday, a five-minute interview in which they let him rank the racists from smartest to dumbest. Spoiler alert, black people are the dumbest, according to him. They let him talk about why there's racism against white people and let him get a whole bunch of other crazy hot takes off and did not stop him. And then when people criticized him for doing that, they were like, we have to know what we're facing. Attention, white people. If you still don't know what you're facing, get out of my face. I don't want to deal with you. Oh, and they equated the the um white nationalist movement to Black Lives Matter. <gasps> they were like, oh, well, on the left, there's Black Lives Matter. No, it's not. Black Lives Matter's basic stance is stop killing us. White nationalists is there's a ranking of races and black people are at the bottom. That's not the same thing. But these are the kind of things that makes me feel like the only way you can resolve some of this BS is to punch people in the face. <laughs> because if you can't hear, you're going to feel. Alyssa? Um, all right. <laughs> <laughs> you know, speaking uh, of crimes, uh, we heard some really good testimony this week from uh, Rick Gates in the Paul Manafort trial. He's going to dumb my punch in the face comment like that, Queen? Well, yeah. well, let me just comment really quickly about <laughs> I, that. I, I, it was a good segue into other crimes. <laughs> it is. but <laughs> it, it was. But just to, to Stanley's point, like, just really quickly, um, yeah. I'm a really big fan of NPR. I listen to NPR, WNYC all the time. So, And I understand because sometimes journalists, we want to be so objective that you don't get when you're actually falling into like propaganda or like, you know, something that's really, really hurtful and impactful to society. So I would have to listen to that segment myself to come to my own conclusion, Stanley. I'll say that. But based on what you're saying, it sounds extremely problematic. Yeah, no, I mean, I agree with that. I haven't heard the segment either, yeah. so I can't really speak on it directly. But, like, real quick, you could, they could have easily said, you know, hey, right. we were wrong. We shouldn't have done that. They defended it. Right, well, I That's mean. That's what bothers me the most. 
Yeah, understandably so. Alyssa? Um, yeah. All right. Getting back to all these other crimes that are being committed. So Rick Gates got on the stand this week and testified in the Paul Manafort trial. And he told us about all these crimes. He was like, we did crimes all the times. We had a seven year criminal conspiracy. We had secret overseas accounts. We stole a lot of money. We committed tax fraud and bank fraud and embezzled millions and millions of dollars. Um, and basically like threw Manafort under the bus. You did not hear a lot about um, Donald Trump. This trial isn't necessarily about Donald Trump. This is a trial that stems from stuff that Robert Mueller figured out when he was investigating Donald Trump and obviously, um, you know, was looking into Paul Manafort and Paul Manafort's finances. But the, the testimony that we heard this week is is damning. Um, and it, it, it seems like it's pretty bad for Paul Manafort. But everybody keeps saying that, like, he doesn't care because Donald Trump's going to pardon him anyway. So I don't know. What do you guys think? I, I'm. I don't know if the the Mueller team is going to win this case. Mm. I've heard the judge has, has been giving them a very hard time. Has not let them put out evidence. Has been like saying, "Why are you talking about how much money Mueller is spending? You're making people hate rich people, and that's not good." It's it's been a really weird trial, and and you know I'm I'm of the belief now that it doesn't matter what happens. We can get a video of Donald Trump peeing on Ivanka Trump, and like signing a contract to help steal the election, and he still won't get impeached, and nothing will happen. Yeah, I, I kind of feel a, a little discouraged as well because, I mean, we've heard Donald Trump talk about assaulting women on tape. Um, you know, there, there's evidence that he was extremely racist, not just in language, but in practice um, in a number of ways throughout his career and his lifetime. And it's like, hey, he's still president. And on top of that, his poll numbers from his, uh, amongst his base are actually going up. A little bit. I mean, so not, it's like I, I don't know. Not surprising at yeah. all. It, it's just not surprising. Like, and the thing is with Donald Trump, he continues to divide us as a country, and it's working for him. That's exactly he gives his base what they want to hear. One quick thing, I guess, kind of breaking news. So Omarosa was on Meet the Press. Oh yes. Morning. And she said, Omarosa is a token Negro that the Trump administration had in the White House. Remember, she was fired. They said that she got into an argument with John Kelly and tried to sneak back into the White House. Well, apparently, that's not what happened. She recorded the the conversation in which she got fired, and she played it on Meet the Press today. We'll see if we can get that audio for you guys a little bit later. But what do you think about that? So did they just purposely smear her? I mean, I didn't hear that audio yet, but I will say this. Omarosa's book drops this Tuesday, and basically what she's saying is she heard Donald Trump use the N-word on The Apprentice. Well, but she had apparently denied previously right. having heard this tape, and now, and now uh, has changed her story and said, actually, like, I did find out about it, and I did hear the tape. But I'm really, my biggest thing is I'm curious about what else Omarosa writes about, not just writes about, but what other tape recordings does... Amorosa have, although I don't know if tape recording is the right word anymore. I don't think we've used cassette tapes in like 15 years. But like still, it begs the question, if she has some recordings of him in the White House, how much other stuff does she have? Because I would love for some tape recordings to come out. But you know what? I'm kind of like, I want to hear it as well. But it kind of like, I'm kind of questioning her credibility at this point a little bit because she was a Trump loyalist for so many years after The Apprentice. And then during the campaign, she uh, defended him saying he's not a racist and you know black people should support him and now all of a sudden she leaves the white house and she's like oh he is a racist well, and i'm gonna expose him i mean look maybe her motives are bad clearly money um but like at the same time if she has 
if she has recordings of him saying things on recording, then like those things are not incredible because it's his own voice. So it's like you can believe that her motives were good or bad or whatever, but like a recording's a recording and it's going to say what it's going to say. That's true. We've got the recording, by the way. Uh, Oh, we have the recording. Stanley, are we going to go to that? So here is a recording of Omarosa's tape that she recorded of Donald Trump in the White House. We're going to play that for you right now. I think it's important to understand that if we make this a friendly departure, um, we can all be, you know, you can look at look at your time here in, in uh, the White House as a year of service to the nation, uh, and then you can go on without any type of uh, difficulty in the future relative to your reputation. How did you take that comment about your reputation? It's very obvious a threat. He's, he goes on to say that things can get ugly for you. Guys, that was a little clip of the recording that Omarosa played just a few hours ago on Meet the Press. Again, that was of Donald Trump. Look, we play that for you guys so you can come to your own conclusions and judgments, whether you love or hate Omarosa. Apparently, she had some ulterior motives while she was working for the Trump campaign and she decided to get it on tape. Right. Um, so last but not least, or I don't know, uh, before we go to break, I did want to mention one story that I think is really, real important. Um, a study came out this week that shows that enrolling Americans in Medicaid is now cheaper than subsidizing their Obamacare coverage. This is this study is being hailed as uh, something that fans of single payer are citing, um, because if it's going to cost the federal government more money to help Americans buy private insurance under Obamacare, then it would be to actually enroll every single person in the country into a Medicaid expansion or what we like to call Medicare for all, then it would seem to make sense for us to go to a single payer system. Uh, So this is really, really important news. Um, And it says that by 2028, the federal government will spend 57% more on average to cover people who purchase subsidized coverage on the exchanges than it will to pay for either Medicaid or Medicare benefits. Um, So like, again, good piece of big piece of good news for those of us advocating for single payer health care. We will see if our do nothing politicians will actually take any of that into account. Thank you for that update, Alyssa. And I just want to say really quickly, I don't know if you guys canceled Kanye, but you should because he literally went on Jimmy Kimmel, continued to defend Donald Trump, and Donald Trump actually tweeted him a congratulations, thanking Kanye West for, I guess, like standing up for him. And Kanye West says, hey, I wasn't stumped by Jimmy Kimmel's questions. I just didn't have time to give an answer. He was, he's an Uncle Tom. Why are we still talking about... Never mind. Never mind. We're not. And on that note. On that note, we're going to go to a quick break. But don't go anywhere. When we come back, we're going to be talking about that notorious brawl that went down in a Brooklyn nail salon right here on Let Your Voice Be Heard. Joanna Taveras. Wow. I haven't talked to you in years. I hope you're doing well. Stanley. Do you love me? <laughs> Are you riding? No, so I'm not because I want to drink some Hennessy. <laughs> Yo, why did I take a shot of Hennessy, first of all, at the bar yesterday? And then I had she Duce. she bought you champagne, but you wanted Hennessy. Then I had Duce with pineapple. And I love Duce, but Duce with pineapple is not a good combination. Jay-Z, I know you're listening. Pay me. I drink Duce all the time. Can I get a bag, please? Dag. Probably not. Yeah, probably All not. right, so back Stanley, to reality. Climb your own ladder to the top. 
<laughs> Why? I'm trying to do it the white way. <laughs> good point. Good point. Um, okay, so uh, back to reality, guys. And back to the show. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Stanley Fritz. I'm also here with my co-host, Alyssa Fuchs. And I know you guys probably saw that viral video of a fight at in a Brooklyn nail salon. It has sparked complete and utter outrage, not only in that Brooklyn community in East Flatbush, which is predominantly black, but across the nation. So this video showed several Asian nail workers physically attacking a black woman with bottles and broomsticks over an alleged eyebrow job gone wrong. So basically, this grandmother came in with her granddaughter and I believe her granddaughter's friend, um, and they wanted to get manicures and pedicures. And when the granddaughter uh, got an eyebrow waxing, she said too much of her eyebrow was ripped off and she did not want to pay for that service in particular. So supposedly the nail workers threatened to use broomsticks on her. She became physical. I heard that she either like pushed or whatever in response to that threat. And then afterward um, and then afterward, basically. All hell broke loose. Uh, you see, they caught on video uh, these uh, Asian workers beating this woman literally out of the salon. I saw another Asian man holding a black woman uh, like with his with her arms behind her back. And then the grandmother was intervening, I guess, to break up the violence. It was a complete melee. And it, 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 it was horrible. It was violent. And basically, it, it begged the question of, was this racially motivated? I mean, I heard and seen a lot of people saying, you know what? Regardless of what happened, and this would not have escalated to this level of violence had those customers been white. That's what we hear people saying. And I know that Stanley, Stanley Fritz, you actually went down to that Brooklyn nail salon uh, as soon as this news broke and went national and you were there protesting. Uh, in your opinion, was this attack racially motivated? So um, just we'll just clear it up real quick. The, the protest actually started Sunday. I didn't get there until Monday. Um, but yeah, I was there. And yeah, of course it was racially motivated. If you've ever, you know, if you live in a black neighborhood and you know you go to the laundromat, where it's usually, you know, it's it's owned by like, you know, Black people don't own the, the the businesses in their communities, at least not in New York. So it's usually owned by like you know like Spanish family, Middle Eastern family, or an Asian family. So you get you know what kind of treatment you get. So when I heard that there was an issue with the nail salon, I was not very surprised. And when I heard that it was you know they attacked this black woman, I was not very surprised that they attacked her because if it's it's not very different from the way that a lot of us have felt treated when we go into these establishments on a regular no matter where we are and you know Stanley, he brings up a good point because uh not only this but there's been times where uh even just in i think it was 2016 where there was a korean shop owner who accused a black girl a black woman excuse me a young black woman of stealing eyelashes and you know she was i think she like tugged at them and then in retaliation he literally started choking her to the point where she couldn't breathe and then the other worker got on top of her and was and, and, and it was like and i'm just like look regardless if there are there are always going to be 
disputes between customers and, and owners and retail workers because people are people. But why is it that it feels like whenever a black woman is involved, it's like it, it, it like it goes to the next level? Alyssa, what was your reaction to seeing this violent video? I mean, look, it, to me, it's just like what you just said. Whenever there's a black woman or a black person involved, you know, and I think that that things go out of control and that fits with the pattern that we have seen over the past couple of months, be it uh, barbecue Becky calling the, the cops on black people who are barbecuing legally or permit Patty calling the cops on a black girl selling uh, lemonade or water or whatever it was, um, which is like this fits this pattern, which is that black people are constantly seen as suspicious uh, no matter what they're doing. And like at the end of the day, this dispute, it really shouldn't have been about race, right? It should have been about like, well, I tried to get my eyebrows done. I did not like the way you did my eyebrows. I do not want to pay you for the eyebrows. Like on its face, that is not a racial dispute. Where this becomes a, a, a problem and more problematic um, and turns into a racial issue is rather than the people who owning the nail salon just saying like, oh, okay, we understand. You didn't like the service. You don't want to pay this, this, us this $5. Side note, these people actually, from what I understand, paid for the manicure and pedicure. They just didn't want to pay for the eyebrows. At that point, you're like, okay, the customer's always right. You know, it's five dollars. We let them go. And and that goes back to your initial comment. If it's a white woman or if it's a, a woman of another race, um, do these people who are running the nail salon, whether they're Asian or Hispanic or Middle Eastern or black or otherwise or whatever, have this kind of issue? And I think the answer to that question is no. And I think this just like I said, loops full circle back to this idea that like black people are suspicious. They're trying to get something out of somebody. They're trying to one up it. They're trying to not to pay. Right. And that all comes from stereotypes, most of which are not true. Um, and that's where really the impetus for this whole attack starts, because had these people just said, OK, they weren't happy with the service. Customers always right. Let them leave. Like, I think they would have done right. for any person Absolutely. who was not black. Um, that would have been the end of it. But instead, it was like, oh, well, they're trying to get one up on us. So we better start a fight. And, you know, and I'll say this. Um, I know we have a guest on the line. We're definitely going to introduce her and, and have her join the conversation. Uh, I'll say this. As a black woman, I get my nails done all the time. But never have I gotten my nails done by a salon that was black owned. So I'm always patronizing nail salons that are owned by someone of Asian descent. And yes, I have felt discriminated but as a black woman. I used to go in a majority white area to an Asian owned salon and I used to be the only black woman there and I used to get the side eye. I used to hear the remarks and they didn't even do my nails that well. And like literally, but because I was younger and I was so used to that type of treatment, I kept going. I kept patronizing them. Like, obviously, thank God it didn't escalate to any level of violence, but it took a long time for me to feel like I deserve better. And I feel like there's there's so many historical roots behind why black women are treated like this and mistreated. Not only that, but why we we feel like we have to allow it. Stanley, before we get to the guest on the line. Yeah. Just real quick, um, Bed of Nails, black-owned nail salon right here in Harlem, by the way. Just want to shout that out. But then also, this whole situation is just frustrating to me because it's 
people of color fighting each other because of white people, because white people have created and sustained racism. And now we're hurting and attacking each other because those nail salon workers and most nail salons, they don't get paid very well. They are also people of color just like us. They are poor just like us. They're a group that is taken advantage of and disrespected by white supremacy just like us. But we're beefing with each other. And if you have any thoughts, questions or concerns about this, please give us a call at 212-650-6903. Again, that's 212-650-6903. And black and Asian communities really should be working together and living with each other in solidarity because we have nothing to gain by fighting each other. Absolutely. And we'll put the phone number also on our Facebook Live in case you guys want to tune in. We'll leave that comment there. Um, So in response to the, the violent brawl that happened, Grassroots Asians Rising, which is an alliance of base building organizations that organize working class, pan-Asian and Arab workers, tenants and youth around issues of housing and worker justice, queer and trans justice, immigration and police accountability. They released a statement. They released a statement condemning those Asian workers involved in the brawl. And in this station, they say that one of the reasons why there is so much tension between the black community and the Asian community is because, and I quote, profits are prioritized over the humanity and well-being of black communities. So they basically say that Asian workers are, are coming into these working class black neighborhoods. They're not forming relationships with the community and instead they're all about making money. And they also list a number of other reasons why there is a a growing tension between these communities, language barriers that happens to be one. But we have a a representative on the line from Grassroots Asians Rising. Her name is Kathy Dang. And I wanted to let her explain for herself why it was so important for Grassroots Asians Rising to release this very important document and statement. And what it is about. Kathy, welcome to the show. Hi, thanks for having me. Good morning. Good morning. Good morning. We really appreciate having you here, especially your, your the voice that you give and the perspective that you give. So just just help us understand, you know, what was your reaction as, as a member of Grassroots Asian Asians Rising to this, this brawl? And why was it so important for you to release this statement? Sure. Um, so our organizations are national, therefore from across the country. We're all local organizations, and um, a lot of this work can live alongside um, in black communities, uh, organized folks who work in black communities. Um, and the statement is the audience that we're trying to reach are Asian communities, people who organize or who are activists or who have relationships or parents or family members who live our own stores in black, um, low-income black neighborhoods. And we also want to name particularly, it's not just black neighborhoods, it's working-class low-income black neighborhoods. Um, and then there's, we have to look at the class and the role of class in the situation, too. And I'll elaborate more on that later. Um, but when we're seeing this unfold, we, we recognize as, ga- as GAR that it was not just about a nail salon, and we had to pull out and look at the larger systemic and structures in place and how economic policies have driven a lot of the Asian immigrant families to open and because they do have accumulate wealth and capital to be able to open up stores. So everything from laundromats to convenience stores to gas stations to donut shops, it's a wide range of different kinds of stores that Asian communities and family members open in these neighborhoods. And so the mistreatment is not just to the nail salon, you know, and it's, a, it's been a pattern of history. And if you look back to Latasha Harlan's and LA Rides and also the, the shopkeeper in Georgia, I think somebody mentioned earlier about the beauty supply store, 
and a continued pattern of how we recognize and see the different treatments that Asian business owners might give to a black customer versus a white customer if they work in a white neighborhood. Right. And on top of that, you know, I'm, I live in a predominantly black neighborhood and I'll say, you know, from experience, when Asian uh, business owners come into these our communities, they're not hiring black workers automatically. So that that feels like another divide. What would you say to that, Kathy? So that is also part of the, the statement is to, to make some shifts in this conversation um, for the business owners to see how they can build relationships with the community, to shift looking at how they start, you know, hiring folks from the neighborhood. Um, we even noticing that sometimes, like it's particularly in Brooklyn, the Asian owners also hire Latino workers um, versus black workers in the neighborhood. And our hope in this statement is we start having these conversations about hiring people from who live and have been in the neighborhood. Absolutely, Kathy. Thank you so much for that. I know we do have to go on a quick break, uh, but when we come back, we have some callers on the line that want to let their voices be heard. And we're going to continue this conversation about it again. Um, you know, th- what happened in Brooklyn is deeper than just this nail salon. This has been happening historically, and there are a number of examples in which there have been a a lot of tension between the Asian community and black community. So we'll talk about that right after this break. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. And we are back. This is Let Your Voice Be Heard. Right here on WHCR 90.3 FM, the voice of Harlem. Of Harlem. Harlem of Harlem. 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 And again, my name is Selena Hill. I'm here with Stanley Fritz. Selena Apollo Hill. Oh, God. Stanley, save that for the ending. Um, and Alyssa Fuchs. Oh, my God. We're going to cheer so loud on Wednesday. <laughs> we're going to embarrass the hell out of you. I can't wait. Can't wait. Um, and we actually have a very special guest on the line. We have Kathy Dang. She is a representative of Grassroots Asians Rising. We have her on the line because we're talking about that racial divide between the black and Asian communities uh, in light of what just happened in Brooklyn. And I know we have a number of callers on the line. We're going to get to you as well. I'm going to throw it to Alyssa because I know we're getting comments on Facebook as well. Yeah. So, you know, Vicky says that we can thank Trump for some of this. And and I think in some ways she's right, because I think that racial tensions have risen in the age of or the era of Trump. Um, But at the same time, Historically speaking, there has been a lot of tensions between the black and Asian communities. And, you know, I was reading a really interesting article this week about the 1992 L.A. riots and about how a lot of the businesses and communities that were destroyed during the riots were Asian communities and in particular uh, part of the Korean community. And because of that, uh, a lot of Koreans, at least in L.A. and sometimes in other places, have harbored a lot of animus towards people of color um, that stems back to the riots. So I was hoping to get our guest um, in to this conversation just because I don't really know that much about it. I want to be a little bit more educated about it. Like, is that true? Is there still racial animus harbored um, between black and Asian communities that stems back to the 92 riots? Um, And if so, why has that persisted for so long? Uh, Sorry, (laughs) I wasn't sure you were bringing on the person, but um, I think um, implicit bias is real and it continues on to this day. And I, I think one thing to notice, though, is the Asian communities are really diverse, and then sometimes their experiences don't get shared across communities. Um, so it, it may not be the case that, like, the Korean community might experience that and, and still hold that, um, but I think it's just structurally how white supremacy operates beyond Asian communities and how implicit bias is, is bought in by everybody and, and how they act on it. 
Um, so that's one thing. And I think the other thing I, um, I didn't get to raise earlier is this. We also noticed that in places um, where there's a lot of worker exploitation, um, I think Stanley had brought it up earlier, where there's places where there's a lot of worker exploitation is where we see definitely more folks. One, one piece is implicit bias in how to treat particularly black customers, and also when they are exploited, tend to act out and, and mistreat customers even more. Kathy, thank you so much for that. I know we have a few callers who have been waiting patiently on the line, and they want to let their voice be heard on this topic, uh, particularly of what happened in Brooklyn and the racial animus between black and Asian communities. Um, Stanley, do we have uh, Pat on the line? Yeah, we have Pat right now. Pat, let your voice be heard. Oh, hello. My name is Pat Smith. How are you guys doing? And I would like to share my experience with the Asian boss that I had. Mm-hmm. And it took me, and I was really in a state of shock because I, I didn't realize that they harbored such hate for us, right? I know I have been told because my granddaughter goes to college with them. And she says, oh, yeah, they always say their parents don't like us. However, this is for Trump time. And Lord have mercy, we got a black, an Asian boss for a minute in a place I'm not going to name it. He made it known that he didn't like us. And he was firing us. People have been there on the job forever. He, I was, I'm only one still at that job because I, I had to go on a sick leave just to get away from the racial tension. But I'm telling you, even when I think about it now, I shake. I'm 72 years old. I've been through all kinds of jobs, and I've seen racial tension. But that Asian man, he brought a hatred that even the white supremacy didn't bring upon us. Do you hear me? And then yes. he went, and then all my people in my office that saw all the black people leaving their jobs and saw this and saw what he was doing and how he harassed us, interrogated us, put their heads in the sand, and now they're the ones that's calling Trump racist. And I look at them and laugh. Um, thank you so much, Pat, for sharing that personal experience that you had with someone of Asian descent. Mm-hmm. You, you know, of course, we're not stereotyping and classifying all Asian people like that. And we should other people either you know and, and what do you mean by that Stanley so like, oh yeah so what I mean by that is like she was like she talked about her granddaughter and how she goes to school with them that, that, right yeah that, so we, we do stay I'm, away I'm, from those terms yeah, I'm sure she didn't mean to do that but like that's we don't want to get into that territory right. right absolutely I just should add like look this is like any conversation that we always have there's the forest and there's the trees right you may have an interaction with another person be them black white Hispanic Asian or something else and you might have a bad experience with that person your individual bad experience with one person doesn't mean that the entire group of the people are like that. And I think that's really, really important that we put that out there during this conversation, which is, yes, you know, there's the big picture and there's big picture tensions and there's the individual stories like, you know, your story, Selena and Miss Smith's story. Um, but we have to continue to have dialogue like we're having today to figure out, you know, where we can work together and ease these kinds of tensions, because otherwise we're going to make the problem worse and right. exacerbate it. So we have another caller on the line. Who do we have, Stanley? So we have Hodge on the line. Hodge, thank you so much for your patience and let your voice be heard. Thank you for the program. Uh, first of all, I think that what you had to say about the uh, the division and divisiveness in the mix with uh, Asians and and African Americans, I think that's just a divisive tactic. Tactic. I think that um, I think that you have covered it pretty well. The other thing I want to say is that we should watch Trump's foreign policy and not get sidetracked by Amoruso or whatever. You know, he's looking at uh, he's looking at Iran, he's looking at China, he's looking at North Korea, 
and we should not get sidetracked and party, you know, ourselves away. The last thing I'm going to say is as far as the gay left movement is concerned, I'm wondering what their reaction or what their response is going to be to this march today by Unite the Right. And uh, I'll let you go. But have a good day. You're doing uh, a blessed job. Thank you so much for that. We appreciate that. And you know what? He brought up a really good point because the fact of the matter is uh, these divisive these divisive tactics which divide communities of color is strategic. And who's perpetrating it? White supremacists, white nationalists. Because, I mean, we've all heard it, divide and conquer. And that's yep. exactly what they're doing. And if we're fighting so much against each other, we're not paying attention to the larger issues. Because guess what? The same white nationalists that are trying to block uh, a refugee and people seeking asylum from coming and crossing into this country. They're the same people who are all for this Muslim ban. They're the same people who are racist and, and anti-black. They're the same people who are, who are not trying to give uh, people of, of Hispanic descent the decency to come into this country. So look, we can't let it divide us. Right, no, absolutely not. I mean, and if you look at, you just pointed out some of these issues, and our guest pointed this out too, which is like one of an issue that affects black and Asian communities equally is the fight for like a $15 minimum wage or a living wage, um, the fight for a union, the fight for workers to be able to organize, the fight for quality education, the fight for to not be gunned down by the police. These are issues that affect minority communities, and they may affect some minority communities more than other. Um, but at the end of the day, when we come to these economic issues like jobs, like the minimum wage, like unions, you know, our guest pointed out a lot of these workers, these Asian workers in these nail salons are exploited the same way that black women are exploited in the workforce. And so at the end, that like goes back to the point that our guest was just making by constantly focusing on the division between these two groups and how we don't don't get along. We are ceding territory to Trump to give tax cuts to rich people and, you know, destroy our planet when, in fact, we need to be working together to work on the issues that matter to all of us. Uh, just two quick things. I, I feel like sometimes people have this idea about the, the, the quote unquote Asian diaspora of like it being the model minority, not realizing how big that 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 group is one and like how diverse and different it is. And that's why you have like a lot of tension. But then, too, while I was at that protest on Monday, I heard something that made me very upset where people were saying, where is ICE? They were calling for ICE. Let me tell you something about that neighborhood, East Flatbush, which is like a neighborhood that I have a lot of experience in because I, I grew up in East New York. I hung out there a lot. I had family over there. And then I worked for, city, in, for a city council member who represented that district. It's nothing but West Indian Caribbean people. Most of them do not have their status. But now they're using the white supremacist structures and like ideas of Donald Trump to go after another group. You should not be doing that because just like ice will come for them. Ice will come for your black behind first. And we need to make sure that we are not tr putting on the same pain and suffering that's happening to us and other people. Uh, before we uh, end this segment, I wanted to just throw it back to Kathy Dang again. She is our special guest from grassroots Asians rising. Kathy, what is the solution to healing this racial divide in communities of color? Yeah, I wanted to, um, if you can look up on, I think it's on YouTube, it's called Journey to Nails, but it's a series of workshops that Vietnamese and Black organizers in Oakland, California had brought together Black customers, like longtime African-American women customers and Vietnamese nail technicians um, to bridge the divide and help them understand each other's histories. And you'll have Vietnamese women acknowledging that Black folks in the U.S. are, are the most oppressed folks in, in the country, even though they are exploited too and they have a history of trauma and war and, and separation from their families. 
Um, and it's a powerful video of showing the bridging between the two communities, um, you know, to, to build them in, in Oakland. Um, but I think moving forward, other solutions are to what we stated in the statement is around, you know, pushing our Asian business owners, owners and having conversations with them about how they treat their customers and recognizing that they have to treat their, if they're in a black neighborhood, having to treat their customers with respect, hiring locally in their neighborhood, and investing, folks, investing in the people in the community um, through those um, different avenues. Um, and then the last thing I'd, I'd say is business owners are responsible for developing protocols to ensure safety of owners and customers first and foremost, and that is on the owners of an owner. So if you're going to open a business, you have to know how to do that. And the city to make sure that business owners know that. Kathy, please let our listeners know how they can find and support your organization. So Graphic Stations Rising, we have a website. We're not, we don't have a Twitter or anything, but if you look up us, if you look, look us up on Graphic Stations Rising on Facebook, you can follow um, the conversations that we're going to continue having uh, and post statements there. Thank you so much, Kathy. Before we end this segment, I want to just give last words to the panel. Guys, what would you say is the call to action here to heal this racial divide? Alyssa? I mean, I, I think I already said that before, but it's to have conversations, have communications, have dialogue between different minority communities on how they can work together and never forget that, you know, when you're fighting each other, you're not fighting the bigger picture issues. And those bigger picture issues right now is Donald Trump and the Republican Party and how they're trying to bankrupt working and middle class people. Stanley, what's the solution here? So one Black and brown people should be working together no matter what part of the world you're from because we are all facing discrimination and we are all suffering from the boot of white supremacy. But until we can take care of that, Bed of Nails is in Harlem. It's black-owned. There's a bunch of black-owned um, nail salons and hair salons all over the city. You do not have to patron places that do not treat you like you are a, a respectable human being, let alone a customer. So don't. Absolutely. And I'll just end by saying this, you, you know, again, I started off this segment talking about, you know, me as a black woman in my experience. And don't get me wrong. I'm not only mistreated by or have been mistreated by Asian workers. I've been mistreated by white workers, Italian workers. It's like nowhere can I go where I feel like my dollar, my humanity and my agency is truly valued. And I'm speaking for not only myself, but I'm speaking for my other my, my sisters. I'm speaking for my mother. I'm speaking for my aunts. We all share this pain collectively as black women. And it's real. And just yesterday, like my mother almost brought me to tears when she went. And I told her about this segment that we were going to do. And she was like, I feel this every time I walk into a salon. And I told her, I said, Mom, you know, we can't start targeting one community over another and I understand why and, and how that could happen, but we don't want to do that. What we need to do is, number one, like Stanley said, do not support the businesses that don't support you and, and, and don't treat you as a human being, number one. And number two, you know, let's work together to try to heal these divides by starting those conversations, by opening up that dialogue and, and making sure that, you know, we use our voices as a tool and a tactic of empowerment, you know, and if you feel mistreated, walk out of that salon, walk out of that beauty hair salon, walk out of wherever you may be, just walk out and, and, and make sure that you tell other people not to support that establishment until they start to respect our dollars and our agency. And that's that because this is a deep issue, but that's the only solution that I can honestly think of here. Um, I just want to thank everyone for tuning in to today's show. Special thanks to our, our guests, Kathy Dang, who called in uh, and everyone else who tuned in via Facebook Live, um, people who called in Instagram. We appreciate you guys and make sure that you continue to support. Let your voice be heard. 
heard on our Patreon account. That's patreon.com slash be heard radio with a, a donation, some funding. You can when you support us, we'll support the issues that matter and that you care about. On that note, I do want to just say thank you to everyone for tuning in once again. And we'll see you in two Sundays.